Hello, and welcome to this non-episode where we are providing a defense, our reasons for why we place gender roles in the primary column on our chart. If you're aware of our chart, the dotheology.com slash chart is where you can get that and see that. It's, it's what our whole show is based on. And we often get feedback that, oh, you know, gender roles really shouldn't be in the primary column. I really think that's a secondary issue. And this has actually been a hot button topic recently in the Twitter sphere and the evangelical social media space. And I'm sure it's going to continue to come up time and time again, increasingly as our culture continues to be more confused and, and express all these different opinions and different ideas. And as the evangelical world begins to be more influenced by secular ideas when it comes to the roles of men and women and what God has to say about those things. So we are providing a defense today and a reasoning for why we believe this is actually a primary issue, and it belongs in that first column on our chart. Are gender roles definitional to Christianity? Yes. Our first defense of this is because it is a doctrine clearly taught in God's Word as an issue of practice in the home and in fellowship with God's people. So there are some doctrines that are so clear that they must be considered primary, and this is one of those doctrines. If you start in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, read the first few chapters of Genesis, you can see that God's design is for man to lead his wife. Uh, Men and women were created both in the image of God, yet they were given different roles. You can see uh, even in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve both sinned, God came looking for Adam. Adam was the one that God called after. Adam was the one who was held responsible in that moment. And uh, there, are, there are other things to see, but foundationally, from the beginning of the entire Bible, we have God's design for men and women uh, laid out for us in, in a sense that man was created first and man was given a specific role, and so was the woman to be his helper. Uh, so... Man is to lead, and woman is to help in the home. And this is, we have examples for how this has played out all throughout scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, examples of those that God has called to lead his people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how that fleshes out. And there are really almost more examples and more texts that we could go to than we would have time for as we're trying to provide a succinct argumentation for this today. Uh, But just the fact that there are so many bears witness to this reality that this is so clearly laid forth in God's Word that we really shouldn't be having questions about this. Yeah, just think, when you consider Israel, name all of the male leaders that Israel ever had. Well, you can't, because there are so many. Name all the female leaders that Israel ever had. We all remember Deborah. She stands out because she was an exception to the rule. It was an exceptional case. But in Israel and now in the church, God has called men to lead a reflection of that original design given in Genesis. Yes. And as we come into the New Testament, again, the passages are numerous that we could go to that demonstrate and argue for this this construct that has God has put forth of men being in, in leadership in the church and in the home. Like that is the clear design, and it goes back, the argumentation goes back to the creation order of what we find in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So, again, numerous passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, of course, this is the whole head coverings passage. But the principle, no matter what you take on head coverings, which 
we have a position on that, but that's what, what this is about. Uh, no matter what position you take on head coverings, the principle of on which head coverings was based was the issue of headship and authority. And that is clearly represented in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, the head of Christ is God, and uh, the head of every man is Christ, and man is the head of a woman, is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11.3. In Ephesians 5, talking about uh, marital relationship in the home, the man is to lead. He is to um, lead his wife, who is submitting to him. The woman is called to submit. The husband is never called to submit to his wife. And he's to lead with sacrificial love, and she is to submit to him as the church submits to Christ. And we have similar commands repeated numerous places. Colossians 3, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and again, this is grounded in creation order where this is in the context of a local church, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So we have that clear teaching of going back to creation order for why this is the case. Yeah. And And it, it, it was not based on culture. It was based on creation. Uh, in the next chapter of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, and in Titus 1, we get qualifications for elders in God's church, and elders are assumed to be male. They are to be the husbands of one wife each. He doesn't say anything about women being the wives of one husband each, but it's assumed that men would be leading. Same with uh, uh, the deacons in the church, which there's some argument there because deacons' wives are talked about in in First Timothy three, but especially when it comes to elders, it's assumed that the elders would be male. And in Titus chapter two, there's an interesting thing, isn't there, Ken? Yeah, and I think this might be one of the clearest passages that show us that gender roles, how God has designed men and women to uh, carry out their responsibilities that this may be one of the clearest passages to show us that this is indeed a primary issue. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, this is Paul writing to Titus, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then immediately what follows is gender roles. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is what it means to teach that which is in accordance with sound doctrine. It is this this construct that God has designed and built within humanity, that there are appropriate roles for men and women. Peter also teaches this, 1 Peter 3, the first seven verses of that chapter. He calls wives to submit to their husbands, even the ungodly ones. This is God's design. And we could stop right there and say, that's it, that's the list, because that's all that's needed is the Word of God. But we do have a couple of more thoughts on why this is a primary issue. In order to get around uh, embracing this reality and to take what is considered a more, what's called an egalitarian approach, there are certain things that you have to do. We just went through texts that are crystal clear about what is right. 
to get around those texts, you have to start doing all kinds of gymnastics. We call it hermeneutical gymnastics. You may even have to do things like abandon inerrancy, which that's a popular thing that people do these days as well. But if the people that abandon inerrancy, they're abandoning a, a, another foundational aspect of what it means to believe the scriptures are the word of God. If this is God's word, then of course it's going to be inerrant. And if you reject it, it starts to, of course, lack authority in other areas too. And so we do see there a slippery slope with this doctrine. If you reject a doctrine as clear as this, God's design for men and women, there will be other doctrines you begin to reject as well. That's why so few egalitarians are only off on this primary doctrine. Usually uh, those who embrace a worldly view of men and women also embrace a worldly view of, of other things that take them away from biblical Christianity. So then we have to ask the question, Ken, are any egalitarians truly regenerate? And this is where you kind of almost have to go back and listen to some of our other episodes when we talk about primary doctrine, because we make clear that the primary doctrine column is not the test. The whole of the column is not the test of whether or not someone is saved. Now, there's the gospel aspect of the primary doctrine column that you have to believe these things if you're going to be a, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. But there are other aspects of the primary column that are definitional to Christianity. If you reject those things, you are stepping outside the bounds of historic, biblical, orthodox Christianity. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're unregenerate, that you're not saved. But it does raise some serious red flags. And again, these things often get lumped together with other doctrines that would cause us to, to question one's belief in the gospel. So we, we will not presume to judge men's hearts. Only God can do that. But we can say, this is clearly taught in God's Word, and if you reject this doctrine, you're not rejecting a doctrine of man. You're rejecting a doctrine that's been given to us by God himself, and that is dangerous grounds. Thank you for yeah. listening. Hopefully this succinct explanation helps you consider what should be primary and what shouldn't be, especially this hot-button issue of gender roles and why this is definitional to Christianity based on the Word of God.